I want to start this morning in Romans chapter 7, and we're going to jump around to several scriptures in the New Testament, and then we're going to focus a lot on the Old Testament. But I wanted you to begin reading in Romans 7 verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. And that's one of the scriptures that our forefathers took in regards to double jeopardy. You can't try a man twice for the same crime once he's paid for that crime. And so when you are under the law, the only way of freedom is by death. And then when you die, you are free from that law and you're brought out of its dominion. And then he gives another example in verse 2. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. And so there is that covenant. And the only way that covenant can be broken or a person can be freed from that covenant is by the death of the spouse. And then when that husband dies, she is free from that. She is free from that covenant. And the Bible says in verse 3, So then if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God." And so I want you to understand, just by the death of Jesus, we were reconciled to God. This is an incredible, incredible thing that God has demonstrated to us through the sacrifice of his son. And it has been represented in types and shadows throughout the Old Testament. Some of that we're going to see today. But I want you to understand that to come into a marriage with Jesus Christ, you must be free from the old law. You must be freed from the old marriage. And so in order for that to happen, there demands a death. And when that death occurs, now you are free to be married to Jesus Christ. And Paul, of course, is referring specifically to the law of Moses. And if you were to come into this covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, then you have to be free from that law of sin and death. Because that's what the law of Moses was. It was the law of condemnation. It was the law of sin and death. Though it was holy and pure and just and righteous, it would justify no one. It would only sentence everyone who was under it with the exception of Jesus. It would sentence them to death. Jesus willingly died that through his death, we could also be dead to the law. And what does this give us? It gives us now access and an invitation to be married to Jesus Christ. And you can't be married to the two people. You can't be married to the new covenant and married to the old covenant. There has to be an exit from that. And that old covenant no longer has ties or holds upon you. It cannot make demands upon you. You're free from that. And this is where a lot of people really have some struggles in their life. It is to really enjoy the power of the spirit of God in a person's life. Now, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 8, and I want you to see this. There's, um, in, in this particular passage of Scripture, as Paul is writing 
or I believe Paul writes the book of Hebrews, he's, he's writing about the new covenant. I want you to see this in verse 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Now, what was the fault of the first covenant? Nothing intrinsically, but the fault of the first covenant was our inability to fulfill it. We were the problem. We were sinful by nature and we could not do it. So for finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 9 is very important. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. It's not according to that. It is not an extension of that. It is not a continuation of that husband relationship. This is a new covenant, a new husband, a new life, a new liberty, a new freedom, a new relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that is sufficient for you or clear enough for you that God is prophesying a new covenant that is coming. And this new covenant, verse 9, is not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. You're going to be married to him. You certainly should know him, right? Romans 7, you're going to be married to Jesus Christ. So why does somebody have to come and say, know the Lord? No, I'm married to the Lord. I'm a spouse to him. I'm in relationship with him. And so for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he has made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now I rejoice in that. I'm very thankful for what God has done for us through his son Jesus Christ. This is not something that is radically new because God has prophesied this from the fall of man. That he would send his son and his son would be the sacrifice for the sin of the first man. And that we would have life through his son. And this was symbolized through types and shadows throughout the Old Testament. And yet Christians stumble over this because they find it very difficult to let go of Moses. Even though Moses in context or in, 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 in that relationship is the lawgiver, that is done away with in Jesus Christ. Now, don't think that the demands of God are done away with. He still doesn't want you to have any other gods before him. It is still wrong to murder and commit adultery and lie and steal and cheat, right? But under the old covenant, there was no power to have that kind of life. And now in the new covenant, it is God himself who's married to you and he lives in you and he gives you the power to have this new life and his sins and your sins and iniquities, he will remember no more. And so this is a beautiful thing that God has given to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I want you to just see just a little bit of what Paul says here. In 2 Corinthians 3, he's talking about this old covenant and this new covenant. 
And he says in verse 5, we're not sufficient of this. God has made us sufficient. And I want you to understand that it takes the power of God, a miracle of the Holy Spirit, to make you a minister of the new covenant. If it takes a miracle of the Holy Spirit to make you a minister of the new covenant, I believe it takes a miracle of the Holy Spirit for people to understand the new covenant. And he tells us this. And so in chapter 3, he says, He has made us able ministers of the new covenant. Verse 6. Not of the letter, which is referring to Moses and his law, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, the letter's not wrong. And the teaching of the letter is not error. But it brings death. And it does not bring life. And so if you would continue on, he says in verse 7, If the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious because it was, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, because that old covenant would fade away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be glorious? There's a ministration of death in verse 7 and a ministration of the Spirit in verse 8. If the ministration of condemnation be glory, verse 9, much more doeth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. And so Moses' covenant was glorious. It was so glorious that Moses radiated the glory of God, but he had to cover himself with a veil so that people could not look upon him. But this was going to be done away. Another covenant was coming that is so fantastic, so glorious, it would make the first covenant not even look glorious. And so he says in verse 10, for even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by the reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. And our churches are filled with people whose veil of Moses is on their hearts. Nevertheless, when it, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. From glory to glory to glory to glory? No, from glory to glory. And you've probably heard this preach that we're going from glory to glory to glory. That's not what it says. You're going from one glory to another glory. You're going from the glory of the old covenant, the glory of the law that would bring death and condemnation, but it would also awaken the sinner to his need of salvation. And you've got to go from that glory to this glory. And to move from the glory of the old to the glory of the new takes a work of the Holy Spirit. And our churches are filled with people who are in church today trying to embrace both Moses and both Jesus and not being really married to either one. 
just in a time of just turmoil and difficulty, not really knowing the Lord, not knowing the freedom of the Lord or the liberty of the Holy Spirit, wanting so desperately to please God, but not ever able to really come to it. But the Spirit of the Lord changes us from glory to glory. And that is the beautiful thing that we have. And so I just want you to see this because I want to deal with a couple of things today. And I want, to, I want to go back into the Old Testament. We're going to go to Exodus 15. And I just want you to see some things that I believe are really amazing and beautiful examples that God has given us in his word. In regards to a covenant, when a covenant was, was being established, for it to have any meaning, for it, for it to have any continuity, it demanded death. It demanded blood. And so when, when, when Abraham or when Moses or when anybody would make covenant with God, they, they would cut the covenant. There would be a cutting. There would be the shedding of blood. There would be a death and the giving of life. And so I want you to understand that because in order for us to be free from this old covenant, which has a glory in it and be delivered from that and come into a new covenant, there demands a death. And, and it demands for you, if you're going to be free from this covenant of condemnation and come into a covenant of life, it demands that you have to die. You have to. And if you don't die, you're still married to the first covenant, to the old husband. But if you want to be married to Jesus, you must die. And that is to be joined with Jesus in his death. And so when you're joined with Jesus in his death, then you've died and now you are free to belong to Jesus in a new covenant that is not like the old covenant and is not according to that. So I want you to see something with me in Exodus 15, and I want you to notice verse 22. Moses has taken the people out of Egypt, and they come to a place where it's very difficult. The water is bad. And so in verse 22, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Sur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. And I just want you to just underscore that bitter. Therefore, the name of it is called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he had cast which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And he said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep his statutes, I'll put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth you. And you know Israel didn't do it because they couldn't do it and they couldn't keep the law. And they couldn't walk perfectly with God, and neither can you. But Jesus did. Praise God. And his righteousness is imputed to us as righteousness because we believe. That's right. That's how righteousness comes, by faith. But I want you to understand something. Here's Israel, and they're in a difficult situation. They have, they're in the wilderness. They haven't had water for three, three to, other than what they might have carried out. And then they finally come to a place after three days' journey where there is water, but the water's bad, and it's bitter, and it causes them to murmur. And the Lord showed Moses a tree. How beautiful. He showed him a tree. In the first tree, man fell, and he sinned against God, and he stepped from life into death. 
And as a result of eating that tree, consider how bitter mankind has been. The wars, the agonies, the brutality, the abuse, the molestations, the betrayals, the hurt, the pain, the inflicted wounds, the intentional pain that has been inflicted upon one human to another human, and the bitterness of people. And what God did was he threw a tree into the midst of that bitterness, and he made the water sweet. And that's the thing for you. If you will let God bring the cross of his son Jesus into your life, he will make the bitter sweet. Whatever it is that you've been through, whatever struggles it is, God will make the bitter sweet. God showed Moses a tree. Moses said that he, Jesus said of Moses, he saw my day and he rejoiced in it. Has God shown you the tree to make the bitter sweet? Has he shown that to you? Have you allowed him to throw that into your life so that it can stop you from murmuring and give you happiness and joy? In 2 Kings chapter 2, and I just want to follow this through for just a little bit. But in 2 Kings chapter 2, I want you to notice another situation, and this is involving the prophet Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 2, We're going to begin reading in verse 19. And the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees. It's obvious this is a beautiful city, very pleasant. But the water is not, and the ground barren. Again, a problem with the water. What we read about in Exodus is the water was bitter. It was not drinkable. And here we read another situation with problemed water, and it caused the ground to be barren. And he said, bring me a new cruise and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters and cast the salt in there and said, thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death Our barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day. According to the saying of Elisha. Which he spake. And I say to us beloved. That it is necessary for us. To have the waters of our life healed. As a matter of fact. Jesus said. You know if you you approach people. That don't have Jesus in their life. You're not going to get the sweetness of God. That comes out of them. There's always something in it for themselves or there's an anger in it or whatever it might be. But Jesus said, if any man thirst in John chapter 7, let him come to me for out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. That God wanted to produce within you a a living spring of water that men could drink from. He said, you're the salt of the earth, right? And you're the light of the world. He said that of us. And so I want you to see two things that Elisha needed. In order for Elisha to deal with these bad waters and the barrenness of the land, what Elisha needed to have was a new cruise and salt. And this is important. First of all, let's see the importance of the salt. And the importance of the salt was when the salt was put into the water, what happened? What did God do through this salt? These two things. Verse 21 at the end. No more death or barrenness. No more death or barrenness. The application of salt 
means there's no death. There's life. And the application of his salt is there's no spoiling, but there is preservation and there is fruitfulness and barrenness. In other words, the application of the salt was healing. The waters were healed and they were given life and the life brought forth the fruit. But that had to come out of a new cruise. And Jesus told us in the New Testament, you cannot put new wine into old wineskins. Because if you put the new wine into an old wineskin, it is going to burst that skin. And then the result of that is everything that was in it is lost. So you have to put new wine into new wineskins. And that is the new covenant. You can't fit this inside of Moses. There must be a brand new wineskin for this covenant that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. Or else, if we try to put it into the old, it will end up expanding and bursting the old and everything is lost. Thus, Paul says to those in Galatia, I am worried about you that you have fallen from grace. If you have started in faith and you try to end in works. If you've started in the spirit and you end in the flesh, that Christ has profited you nothing and you have fallen from grace. You tried to put this back into the wineskins of Moses and you're losing it all. It wasn't an effort to be sinful. It was an effort to be holier. And they thought, boy, if we do this through Moses, then perhaps we can do it. So here in 2 Kings, you see a beautiful place. This is a beautiful city. It is very pleasant. It was obvious to see. So please understand this, that the, the, the troubled waters and the barrenness of the waters was, did not make the city unattractive. As a matter of fact, to the natural eye, you would have thought that this was a very beautiful city. That it was a very prosperous city. That probably the city had no troubles at all. Who would have thought that there was a problem here? So they even had to come and make this known to the prophet of God. This is a beautiful city, but there's a problem. The waters are bad. And because the waters are bad, it is barren. And that word barrenness does not mean that there's no vegetation. But it means that the life is constantly aborted. That the life does not come to fruition it becomes spoiled. And so if you were to walk up on this city, you would see the waters and you would see, you would see life. You would see trees and bushes and, and crops, perhaps all of that would look good. And maybe every year this city would just begin to hope, Oh, I hope this is the year we have fruit. I hope this is the year that we're blessed. I hope this is the year that we prosper. This has got to be the year where it really takes the turn for good. And everything's going to be different now. But it didn't. It was barren. And in order for that to be changed so that the city could really be blessed, there needed to be a new cruise and salt. And that's the way it is maybe for a lot of people. I'm talking about Sunday school teachers and pastors and missionaries. You would love to meet them. They're very pleasant. They look very pleasant. They speak pleasantly. They speak of God. They are not hypocrites at all. They mean what they say and they believe what they say. And they try so hard to produce what they say. But inwardly they are tired and they are desperate. They are overwhelmed inwardly with a sense of defeat and frustration and futility and barrenness. 
When you meet them, they smile and they say, God bless you. And they thank you and they encourage you. And you feel the pleasantness of it. And you admire them. And you even give back a, a, a statement of admiration because of what you see on the outside looks so pleasant. And you, you, you give them those words of admiration and it hurts them. Because they know what you don't know. And they know inside of themselves how they have labored so hard, but they have not received the fruit that they have so longed for. Throughout history, men and women have bravely, out of a sense of duty and devotion, gone on with the things of God, even in the name of God, for the kingdom of God, but their hearts are tired. The supernatural aspect of salt and life is, is really seems to be absent from them, just when it looks like fruit is going to come. It is aborted. They do not have the faith in the answer. They cannot believe that Jesus really is enough. He needs my help. And the new cruise and the salt is a ridiculous solution to bad water. Because what's going to grow in salt water? That is a ridiculous solution. But it was the answer of God. Let me say this to you just very quickly about salt. Salt was an important part of the offerings that God demanded because it spoke of purity, preservation, and expense. Every sacrifice that was made to God had to be made with salt. Or it would not be received. And I just want you to look at this with me. Two places and then we're going to close. I want you to look at Leviticus. Chapter 2. And I want you to see this. Because I just pray with all of my heart. That you will get this. This is the life of him. The life of Jesus. If by his death we're reconciled to God. How much more by his life shall we be saved. And the Bible says in Leviticus 2 verse 13. And every oblation of your meat offering. Shall you season with salt. Neither shall you suffer the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your meat offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. In Ezekiel 43, verse 24, when they're reinstituting temple worship, there was the demand for the salt. But if you would look at one interesting thing in the book of Ezra, because Ezra was part of the 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 people that went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of God. And he got commands from the king and permission from the king to be able to restore the temple worship. And Ezra chapter seven, verse 21, it says this. And if, if you're if you're just listening to me, listen carefully. This is what it says. And I, even I, Artaxerxes, the king. Do make a decree to all the treasurers which are beyond the river that whatsoever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, shall require of you, it be done speedily unto a hundred talents of silver and to a hundred measures of wheat and to a hundred baths of wine and to a hundred baths of oil and salt. Without prescribing how much. Salt without limit. Whatsoever is commanded by the God of heaven. Let it be diligently done for the house of the God of heaven. 
For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? And here's Ezra and he says, you know, I'll need a hundred of this and a hundred of that. I'll need a hundred talents of silver. I'll need a hundred of this of the wine and salt. I must have limitless resources to salt. Because this salt spoke of the healing of death and the healing of barrenness. It was a testimony of the resurrection and the life of Jesus Christ. And that as they put this new cruise or the salt from the new cruise into the barren waters and it was healed. That if you would put the life, the salt of Jesus into you, you would be healed. But men don't. For whatever weird reasons, men don't. We put a little of him in us. Just a little bit. We put maybe a lot of him in us on Sunday, but not on Monday. And not on Tuesday, you know, maybe Wednesday night when I go back to church and I'm reminded of how much I need Jesus, then I'll put some more. But, you know, Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday, so it's, I'm, I'm just out there on my own and I got to make this thing work. And I got to do these things for God and I've got to serve the Lord and I want to show my devotion to God and I want to show God how serious I am and how much I mean this and and yet there's the inner struggle and you and and maybe you look so pleasant you look such the Christian but there's barrenness inside your children are not doing well your life is not doing well your secret life is not doing well but boy you can put on and you look so pleasant and you look so And you are sincere. You're not playing the hypocrite. You're really not. But there comes a point when you got to make a decision. Who do I want to be married to? Do I want to be married to Moses or do I want to be married to Jesus? Who do I want to be married to? And you have to make that decision because the invitation is yours. Step into death that you might have life. Put the salt into the water and the water will then become fruitful and, and cause the, 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 the climate to be fruitful. No, salt doesn't help things grow. No, God does. So put the salt in you. Let God show you the tree. And let him throw the tree into the bitter waters of your heart. And he will make them sweet. Oh, I got this, God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change. Everything's going to be different. I'll show you, God. I'll show you that I mean it. And we will try and we will work and we'll get more bitter and we'll murmur. And people will drink our water and it will make them bitter. Isn't that what Hebrews says? A root of bitterness poisons many. Why? Because people are drinking your water. Whether it's good or bad, they're drinking it. It's, it's, It's just your spirit. It's what comes out of your spirit. And so when Jesus is the life of your spirit, then the life of Jesus comes out and it's sweet and it's healing and it's and it's beautiful. And so these are the things that we must do in turning to God and giving him everything of our life, the salt, the new cruise and the tree. Those are the answers for our life. And they're real answers. They are the only answer. Jesus is the only answer.
Whatever the needs are in your life, whatever ministry is set before you, whatever fatigue that you're in, however weary you are, however tired you are, however, whatever the persona is that you put on to, to, you don't have to. In God's presence or in God's house or among God's people, because there's an understanding of how frequently we fail. And when success ever comes, we can only say that was God. And so I I, want to kind of go back to this as I close. And that is, as Ezra said, and as Moses said in Leviticus, you season every offering with salt and don't spare it. Now, salt was very, very expensive. Only kings had salt, practically, or nobles. And so don't spare the salt. And Ezra says to Artaxerxes, a hundred of this, a hundred of that, a hundred of this. Oh, and salt without limit. And that speaks of grace. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. God is speaking to us through every coating of Old Testament sacrifice that is covered in salt. There is coming the one who is salty. And he will cure your death. And he will be the cure of your barrenness. And he will give you life. And this one, Jesus Christ, has made you, according to Peter, a royal priesthood that you should offer to God spiritual sacrifices to him. And this is the essence of it. And those of you that know it, those of you that know it, you'll know what I'm talking about. And those of you that are maybe a foot in Moses and a foot in Jesus, you may not get this. Because your religion has made you pleasant, but not fruitful. But those of you that know this would understand, I have been made a king and a priest unto my God. Through Jesus Christ. That simply means this. I have not been given the permission simply to be a priest to God. I have been made one. It's what I have to do. Because I'm made that. Like you have to breathe. I have to praise. I have to pray. I have to serve. A little bit is not enough for me. I need more salt. I need more salt. I need more salt. I want to see the tree. I want the tree thrown into my life. I want the new cruise. And that just speaks of the abundance. Because really this is it, right? The son of David lives inside of you. Now I'm talking about those of you that really know he does. The son of David lives inside of you. And right now you can... Sense him and understand his movement. You know, I was watching Wednesday night and I saw Bailey in the service. And I saw her, you know, supposed to have her baby the Tuesday before. And all I could understand is she senses her baby inside of her. And there's somebody else that lives inside of you. And you can sense him. And oh, how he wants to dance for his father today. How he wants to praise his father today. How he wants to love his church today. How he wants to serve other people today. 
How he wants to lavish and love and give mercy and hospitality unto others today. But most church people will never get that. They'll just go to church, find a place, sit down, do their thing, go. Because maybe the son of David doesn't live in them. They just look pleasant. But there's barrenness. Let there be life. See the tree that God showed Moses. And the new cruise and the salt that speaks of the life and the healing that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And I thank you so much. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would know the refreshing and the healing and the life of Jesus Christ. Healing that you have brought into us. Father, we thank you that through this act of Elisha, you have explained to us what salt does. It heals. It gives life. It gives fruit. It cures death. And Lord, I, I believe we all desire that from you. And I pray for the reality of that in our life, God. We thank you that we have been reconciled to you through the death of your son. And now much more, let us be saved by his life. Live in us, Jesus. For it is through you and by you that we are priests unto God. And that we get to serve you. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. God, if we could not come here today and know, according to this new covenant, that you have forgiven our sins and iniquities and you will remember them no more. What liberty that gives us. That, Lord, it is through your son, Jesus, that we enter into your presence and we love you. We worship you. And I pray, God, that people would really and literally be born again. Father, that people would know a a relationship with you of life and love and happiness and liberty and joy and power. And when we should be just undone and weary and overwhelmed, we receive mercy from you and strength from you, power from you. You are our portion. You are. You are everything, Jesus. And we love you with all of our hearts. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness and kindness to us. In Jesus' name.